Okay, we decided uh, we're, we were part way, most of the way through Corinthians, and so we're going to, we've got some pretty good chapters still to go, and one of the best ones. So instead of leaving it dangle, we're going to finish it up through the summer season. And when we get uh, to the last one in August, and I can't give you the date now, but uh, we will have a communion service before uh, Labor Day. So the one before Labor Day will be a, a communion service. So it should give us enough time to finish up the book of 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 14 today, chapter 14. Uh, we did chapter 13 last way. Um, one of the things about the, the church in Corinth that we remember is there was chaos in the church. It was because they really didn't know how to run a service. We know how to run a service because we have tradition. We sing a little, we talk a little, we pray a little, and then we go home, okay? <laughs> kind of know how it works. They didn't. Right? They did not know how it worked because there's nobody they could go and see who had ever had a church service before. And so they got together and they did a lot of talking, way too much talking, so that it was chaotic. The church service was very uh, chaotic and confusing, and they were missing the point through the chaos. And so he tried to help him. In chapter 11, he talked about communion, what they were doing wrong. You remember uh, they were... Uh, bringing food, big bunches of it, gobbling it down. Some people didn't get any. And he straightened them out on that. And his instruction to them has become the way we run communion uh, 2,000 years later. That was in chapter 11. Chapter 12, he said, there are gifts that people have. People have gifts. And they have special abilities given to them by God. But the main concept behind it is that the church is a body. And every part of the body functions together. And so you don't just say, my gift's the one we all need, so here I go. That's not how it works. We work together and we all uh, act like a single body. And so they were kind of just doing their own thing with their gifts. And he said, you got to remember, their parts work together. And then he said, but there is the best way uh, to run a church is by love. He said, that'll work better than all the rest of it. Uh, we need to look for love, choose love. He says, it's much more effective than the gifts are. He said, you may have a Ability to talk like an angel, but if there's no love behind it, then nobody's going anywhere. It's all just noise. And uh, so he talked, we talked about love the last time we met a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> how essential it is to the operation of the church. It is what he says, uh, the more excellent way. If we want to run a church right, that's how we need to do it. So he's trying to straighten up the service. Let's fix communion. Let's understand that they're gifted people, but they have to work together. And then remember that love is the overwhelming motivation in the church, helps things to run like they should. 
And so now he comes to chapter 14, and uh, he's going to give us a little information here. We come to this chapter, we're going to talk a little bit about what it says. Uh, in uh, Maybe not in your experience, but in uh, a lot of people, maybe some of you have been around this, uh, there's what people call uh, speaking in tongues. And there's a lot of controversy over it, and there's a lot of uh, uh, information. And the people who do it, and I'm just going to pick somebody because uh, maybe some of you know. Jimmy Swaggart, maybe you've seen Jimmy Swaggart on TV. He's got a great band. <laughs> but uh, he's not... Uh, he believes that if you uh, are filled with the Spirit, you have to speak in tongues. Otherwise, you're not filled with the Spirit. And so what he has done, and people like him, I don't choose him particularly to pick on him, but they say that tongues is actually evidence that you have been filled. All right? They say tongues is the evidence that you have been filled, and if you claim to be filled with the Spirit and you don't speak in tongues, you're you're a liar. You have to do it, All right? And that's what I think is the extreme side of it. I think that's the farthest side of it. And how many have ever been in a service where that's happened? A few of you have. A few of you have. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's different. Uh, I have been in, in the 70s. It was a major movement because churches in the 50s and 60s got dead and dry. That's what happened right here. It got dead and dry and closed the door because right? they just didn't have nothing going on. And so when people came along and said, we're going to begin to speak in tongues and this will bring spiritual life back, in some ways it did. In some ways it did, and in other ways it didn't. And so we're going to look at what chapter 14 says because the people who believe this use Acts chapter 2. Now you know what happened in Acts 2, right? Acts chapter 2 was the day of Pentecost. And the first day when the church really zoomed up because, you remember, they were all gathered in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven a rushing mighty wind, and the Spirit came down in the room where they were, divided into little flames, and each person had a flame uh, go into them. It's a symbol from God. It says, I'm sending this for you. And they had the Holy Spirit. And the first result of that was they went out and they spoke in tongues. Not that they had ever heard before. Well, I shouldn't say they had ever heard before, but they had never spoken before. They were speaking known languages, and it said that Jerusalem, because it was full of pilgrims from all over the world, and it said everybody heard the preaching in their own tongue. So what they did on Pentecost was speak in a known language that they had never spoken before. All right, and so let's put that on our list. Uh, Acts, experience the day of Pentecost. 
Acts 2 and also chapter 4, uh, they speak in a known tongue. They speak in a known tongue. And the Bible is clear about that. It mentions a whole bunch of different people. And so they all heard in their own language. And so people say, all right, they got filled with the Holy Ghost. They spoke in tongues. And so if you're going to be filled, you got to have that. It doesn't say that in Acts chapter 2. It says that's what happened then. All right, now we come to Acts chapter 14, and he's going to comment on it, on the idea of speaking in tongues. And uh, I will talk more about some of my experiences and what I have experienced over the years. And, uh, and we'll uh, add in, try to get nailed down here in this passage what he makes a comment about tongues, try to separate it out so that we can get it. And uh, we'll try to get what I think is the main point as we go through. So here we go. Acts, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 14. And he's going to talk about tongues. He's not really going to, but he is going to. It's going to come into his conversation. He has another main message. And that's where we got to get to. First of all, let's get the main message of chapter 14. And then, of course, what was happening in Corinth was the chaos Part of the chaos was people speaking in tongues. And so he's going to instruct them about that and how it should work. Here we go. Chapter 14, verse 1. Follow after charity. He just said in chapter 13, these three things abide, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Now he says, follow after. Make it the way you operate. There's a path. There's a path of love. And we're going to walk down that path. Uh, always in the church, we're going to follow that path. That's going to be primary to what we do, okay? Uh, desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you might prophesy. Now, remember back in chapter uh, 12, he said there was a lot of gifts. I don't know, I think he mentioned somewhere 12 or 13 different ones. And he says it's okay to have a special ability but I want you to put on the top of the list that you would prophesy, and I'm going to put underneath that preach or teach, because I think that is the general idea of what he's talking about. Uh, and then he's going to tell us why. Desire rather that you prophesy. There's a lot of things that you can do, but he says, I want you to put on the list of the gifts, first of all, preaching and teaching. <clears throat> Verse 2, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mystery. Right, so we're going to put this down first on our list of things he explains here, uh, that the unknown tongue that they're speaking, it can speak to God. All right? Verse 2, he says, if you speak in that tongue, 
and nobody understands you. He said, uh, but you may be speaking directly to God. All right. Verse 3, but he that prophesieth speaketh unto men the edification and exhortation and comfort. Now, he says, if you're preaching in the language that everybody can understand, uh, there are certain things that ought to be a part of preaching. This is a very important list, and he's going to add to it as we go along. Uh, he that preaches is edification, or I'm going to put down... You need to build faith. Edify is to uh, people help to grow spiritually. All right, to build faith. When you're preaching, that's got to be one of the things that happens. And the second one is exhortation. I mean, sometimes you'll explain uh, how to do it correctly. You correct people. Exhortation, or uh, I'm going to put there instead of exhortation I'm going to put encouragement I think it's the same thing exhortation some people say well, that's when you shake your finger saying you're naughty well I don't think so I think uh, exhortation is to exhort to encourage you to make good choices and then he says and you also uh, speak comfort to people to console people Sometimes a lot of people need consolation. They need to be helped to feel better. And so very much a part of preaching is you've got to be doing those things in it somewhere. All right? You must somehow have those in your preaching. He said that's why you want those, because you're doing that to the whole congregation. He says if you're speaking in a tongue and you're just talking to God, nobody can hear you. Nobody gets anything out of it. They don't understand it. All right. Verse four. He, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Remember the rule was the church is a body. We all work together. All right. So he says if you're just speaking in a tongue, and it's just you and God, and that's all there is. Okay, that doesn't help anybody else. He said, but when you are preaching for everybody, you're going to help everybody. And that's a part of what the church is all about. Here we go, verse 5. I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edification. All right. And so uh, we're going to say here what we just covered. This builds your own faith, maybe, he says. All right. Uh, we want to build everybody's faith, but this may build your own faith. And the, and the next thing he says uh, if you uh, speak with a tongue, you must interpret what, he, what was said. You're going to speak with a tongue, and it's going to help anybody. Now, if you just speak in a tongue, and you say, well, I'm building my own faith, you're not helping anybody. But he says, if you 
want to do something constructive with it, it has to be interpreted. You can't just shout it out and say, there you go, oh, you all get it? Nobody got it. Nobody knows what in the world you said. And so you have to, he says, interpret. It's got to be interpreted if it's going to be in a service. All right, that's an important thing. Okay, let's go on. Verse 6. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking in tongues, that shall I profit you, except I speak to you either by revelation, knowledge, prophesying, or doctrine. All right? So here he says, here's some important things we're going to add to the list. Uh, revelation. That's, we're going to learn something new, something we haven't learned before. Reveal something. So you can understand it, all right? Uh, knowledge of spiritual things. And we're going to help people to know and understand spiritual uh, things. We're going to give people knowledge that's going to help them. Uh, third, he says, um, by prophesying or by doctrine. Prophesying would say you have a message from God. Message from God. All right. And uh, the last one he puts in there, we call it uh, teaching. It's teaching about the Christian life. All right. We teach about living. And those should be all a part of preaching, helping people. Um, I put a little check by this one. Because I've heard a good many people say, well, God told me, and I'm always a little cautious of that, particularly if they say, God told me to tell you. <laughs> I'm always a little cautious of that, okay? Yes, you have messages from God, I think. They come to us sometimes, but I think it is primarily through the Scripture. That's why the Bible exists. This is God's mind revealed. All right, and then we're going to take God's mind revealed and explain it to you. And so the message comes through the scripture. Back in Paul's day, it was possible for him to say things that nobody ever heard before or were written down before. Okay, and he did that. He did that. He did several places. He said, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall be changed, or we're not all going to die. But there's going to come the day when the Lord comes, a trump shall sound, and, uh, and Jesus will return to earth. And that was something that we ever, well, they heard it, but it was a kind of revelation that was brand new. And in those days, he could say things like that. I think we got everything right here. And when people push it a little farther, it's like the place I heard of just here uh, a week or so ago, where they had people locked up in the basement of a church for the last few months because they said the Lord's coming on April 4th or something. Then we didn't come. They did what they, all the people in history have done who've made the same kind of comment. Oh, I refigured, and he's not coming for four more months. And finally, somebody went in to let these people out of the basement. And, uh, yeah, because he's, he's claiming revelation that he didn't have. Okay, so that's something we kind of watch over. 
All right, but he says, if I come, verse 6, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except uh, to speak to you either by revelation? He says, if I'm going to say something in a foreign tongue, it's got to be interpreted, and they've got to come into this category of what preaching is all about. Okay? Otherwise, no. All right, verse 7. And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sound, how shall be known what is piped? If I went up there and just punched a bunch of keys on the piano and said, you know that song? And you'd say, what are you doing? Can't tell. If I do this, you know that? Everybody knows that, see? And so he's what he's saying that... Even music, even a musical instrument has a voice whereby it communicates. It's not just a bunch of notes floating through the air, but it's communicating uh, through an organized representation that comes, helps us to understand. <clears throat> Verse 8, the trumpet given uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle, you know? And it used to be, you know, ba ba da da, okay, let's charge, let's go. And if the trumpet went, ba 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 ba, where are you going? Nobody said, what does it mean? I can't make sense of it. So even basic commands given, like in a trumpet, in any situation, in war situation, a rolling drum beat in war situation, they had meaning, communicating thought and idea. And he says, if things like that have to be in a certain way so you can understand, then you can expect in church it ought to be the same way. Verse 9. So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words, easy to be understood, how shall be known what is spoken? And you shall speak into the air. Right? So if you come in and speak in tongues and nobody knows the word you say, you're just wasting your breath. You're not communicating, and that's not what we want. He said back in verse 1, desire spiritual gifts that you might prophesy, that you might communicate, building faith, encouragement, consolation, revelation, spiritual things, messages from God. You get those things out so people can understand them. And he says... Uh, I like what he says. So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words, easy to be understood. And I have taken that literally in my life. I just talk like a regular human. Don't use big words. Everybody say, ooh, what was that? Let me get the dictionary. You don't need a dictionary when I talk. All right, I'm going to talk as plainly as I can. And when I'm studying and I come across that big $5 word, I figure out what else to call it. So you know, all right? I do not use those words intentionally. Uh, I try to use words that everybody will understand. So when I have a child sitting in the service, they can get it. They can get it, all right? I think that's very much a part of what he's saying. I knew a guy, when you talked to him, he was wonderful. And he came here, and he spoke once, and I didn't know what the world he was talking about. Because he had a whole different tone of voice, whole different language, whole different. And I thought, where's the guy that I know? I don't know what he's saying. 
It was confusing, right? So let's be plain as we can is what he's trying to say. All right. <clears throat> Verse 10. There, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without significance signification or in other words there's a lot of different languages in the world and each one has its meaning right? and don't be surprised that they're meant there to be meaning uh, make it simple stupid is what he's saying speak as plainly as you can but there are many voices and we can speak in all kinds of languages. If I say Yasunam Garvitil Bor Spizadrika Padator Gudalera Astek, got that? You didn't get it. It's Norwegian, all right? You don't get it. And I wouldn't expect you to. And we say Dipri Pludicator Milanusatanion Le Profeta. And Dipri Pludicator Milanusatanion said Eratan. Or we've been waiting for the prophets for 4,000 years. We've been listening to their voices. And uh, it's for another day. And then, Ile, nay, or he is born. That's what we've been waiting for. French, all right? <clears throat> so you can speak different languages and communicate. They're meant to make sense. All languages meant to make sense. And if language doesn't make sense, they say, that's really not what it's about, all right? You be like a foreigner, verse 11. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I should be unto him that speaketh barbarian. He that speaketh to me to be a barbarian unto me, or a foreigner, is what he's saying. So if somebody gets up and talks, I can't understand a word they say. It's like being a foreigner. Uh, I was a foreigner over in Norway, and I'll tell you what, that was a challenging thing. Got out of the Airplane, rented the car, headed out and looked at the first sign, which was telling me, don't do something. I don't know what. You know, I'm thinking, I'm going to get in trouble because I don't know what that sign says. It's a great big one. must be important. I just drove through and hoped nobody saw. Because I can't read the sign. And he says, and that's what he's saying here. Uh, if you can't, you're like a foreigner. And that's not what we want in church. And what gets me about this conversation is that for years there were people who spoke languages in church specifically that nobody understood. Latin. All right, he spoke Latin, nobody knew what they were talking about. My goodness, you missed a point that he's saying here. He's saying, make it easy to understand. You're going to speak Latin, nobody understands it. You might as well be a foreigner, that's Paul. All right? That's not the way he's supposed to go in a service. That's always what he's talking about. How's the service? It's chaotic because nobody can understand what's going on. All right, let's go on. Verse 12. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. You want to build up the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, and my understanding is unfruitful. And I think here he's going to kind of open a little door for us. Um, he says, if you pray in an unknown tongue and you're praying to God, 
You say, well, I'm praying to God. Uh, uh, I don't know what I said to him. And he said, uh, he said, <clears throat> and he's allowing this. What he's saying is, okay, you did it, and you said something to God, and you don't even know what it is. Okay, you don't, you haven't got the ability to interpret it, he said. And so we need to, if you, and I, the best way I could explain what I think what he's trying to say is, you feel a moving in your heart of worship towards God. And that can come anywhere, anytime. Right? And you feel like God is close to you, feel like he's answered your prayers, you feel grateful for helping you, all these things, and you feel that, and you, there's a feeling inside of you, and that may even actually be hard to express. I think sometimes when you really feel a strong sense of worship, words kind of get in the way. And what he's saying is that intense feeling in there may be hard to get out. All right, verse 15. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. I'll also sing with the understanding. Right? So he says, I'm going to pray to God and express myself in words that make sense. So I have this inward feeling of worship. I'm going to connect it to outward expression of worship. And so when God is inside of me and I can feel him coming close, I want to be able to pray those feelings out and express them to God. And one, the same thing when you're singing a song. It's very true when you're singing a song. You need to connect the spirit with expression. That's why some songs are so much better than others. Because they are excellent expressions of the feeling in your heart. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs. What a privilege to carry everything. To, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That's singing with the understanding. Grasping the heart feeling and expressing it. That's what he's saying. We want to do is to express it. When we're singing, when we're praying, talking to God, let's do everything that we can so that the inward thankfulness is matched with clear words and we can get through it. Verse 16. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen to giving of thy thanks, see he understandeth not what thou sayest. Right? So you speak in a tongue, you think, oh God, you don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're saying. You think anybody else is going to say amen? Well, if I say amen, it's because I... I agree with what was said. So be it is what amen means. And, you know, when Levi, we sing a song, and Levi says, and everybody said amen, because we agree with what this song says, and it expresses the emotion that we want to grasp. All right? So he says, if you're going to speak in an unknown tongue and nobody gets it, how's, who's going to say amen? They don't know what you said. Verse 17, for thou verily giveth thanks well, but the other is not edified. I, now here's the verse 
that really uh, changes things. Paul says, verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. We're going to put that here in the column because that is the one. And he said, Paul spoke in tongues. Paul spoke in tongues. We're going to come back to that as we go along because that's, that's an interesting comment. Paul, he said, I, I spoke in tongues. But we put it on this list of comments about speaking in tongues that Paul spoke in tongues. We'll come back to that. Verse 19. In the church, I'd rather speak five words of my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Right, so, so I could say five words or 10,000. If I'm going to say it, nobody understands, give me the five. I'll take the five. And it's very clear there what he's saying. He's saying, communicate, teach, edify, console, talk to people, say things that will help them. And he says, and I'd rather do that. He says, I'd rather, much rather do that than the opposite. Now, uh, 20. There's a little section here. And there's a lot of people that have trouble with this section. This is not hard, I don't think. Uh, but a lot of people have trouble with this. So let's just go through it and see what it is. Verse 20. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. We want to grasp and understand in a grown-up, intelligent way, what the Bible is all about. We want to be clear about those things. He said, if there's something you don't understand, let it be malice. Your bad temper, your sharp tongue. Leave that out. Let that be the kind of thing that, well, we don't do that. Good, good. Like we only, and you'd be much better off. All right, verse 21. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak to this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Now, uh, back in Isaiah 28, you can turn it if you'd like. Isaiah 28 is a kind of important verse that he refers to here. And he's, he's giving us a, a concept about speaking in another voice so that we'll know what it was like, why it was like this. Chapter 28 of Isaiah, in verse number 9, Whom shall he teach knowledge? Whom shall he make understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Right, so he said, here's the general way that God works. He says, he's going to help you to grow up spiritually, grow up as a Christian, and it's going to be, you're going to get a little here, you're going to get a little there, you get another line here, and a little there, and you're going to keep building on that foundation. That's going to go on for your whole life, all right? I read the Bible and you say, well, I've read this passage 50 times. Yeah, and almost 50 times I got something different out of it. 
We're going to go and keep building a little and a little and a little. It's important. But, verse 11, with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. And what Isaiah is saying is that his people rejected him. They didn't want anything to do with him. And they did everything against God. And so in Isaiah's time, uh, Nebuchadnezzar came and took him captive. And when he was there, he did whatever he wanted to. And they heard a foreign tongue. Babylonian. Because the Babylonian army was there and Nebuchadnezzar was there and they were running things and they're listening to a foreign tongue. And God said to them, if you would have done what I asked, if you'd have done the way I instructed you, you never would have heard a foreign tongue in your country. So when you hear the foreign tongue in your country, it's because you disobeyed me. So in the Old Testament, it was a symbol, when you hear a foreign tongue, it was a symbol of disobedience. All right, so that's usually not coming into the talk about speaking in tongues. But Paul refers back to this and says, yeah. He says, uh, when they heard that in the Old Testament, they knew they were in trouble. Now back to 14.22. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign... Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. And so he said it was meant in the beginning to be a sign that you rejected God. All right? But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. And so he says we got tongues. It was classically... Uh, something that was meant to for you to understand that you disobeyed God and now you're in trouble. He said, preaching was not for people that don't believe. It was for people that do believe that they might build their faith and so on on that list. And you say, well, isn't preaching for everybody? Well, understand what, he, what we said in chapter 2 of First Corinthians, in chapter 2, uh, we, this is something that we went over back in chapter 2, and it's verse 14, what does he say here? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish as unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And so what he says is, a person who doesn't know God is not going to grasp the kind of concept that you're trying to explain. And so he's giving us a, a little bit of a different slant here on it. So verse 23. Let's see if we can straighten it out. If therefore the whole church come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned, unbelievers, will they not say you are mad? <laughs> yeah, he's kind of got that right. Uh, you're going to come in, and everybody's talking words that nobody understands. Hey, these people are crazy. Let me out of here. Right. And that's a very reasonable thing. All right. I mean, that's kind of makes sense. Verse 24, but if all prophesy, there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, 
He is judged of all. Thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. So falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is with you of the truth. That's where we're headed. We're, we want to be plainly and clearly, and people come in and they hear it and they're convicted. That is, they think, you know, I need to get in with it. I need to do these things. I need to learn about God, he said, and that I can go there and, and meet God. Well, that's exactly what we want. So he's saying, you know, how much better it is to speak clearly to people. All right? Preaching should produce conviction. Another thing we'll put on the list, conviction to be a part of preaching. That you begin to feel, I need to, I need to do this. I'm not doing the right thing. And we change because of it. Okay, so, where are we here? Verse number 26. Here it comes. This is how you run a service. He's going to finally come around and tell him, all right, I'm going to correct you and help you to understand how a service should run in verse number uh, 26. How then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, a revelation, has an interpretation, that all things be done unto edifying. You have to say whether you're singing or speaking has got to help to make people grow spiritually and understand. All right? If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. All right, so we're going to put now the speaking of tongues. It can be two or three, and that's all. It must be interpreted has to be interpreted and you do it one by one or by course he says you don't jump up and all shout at the same time so there he has said all right if you're going to do that here's what you do if you have an interpreter and you can interpret it it tells you and is edifying then at the most two or three of you and you're going to do it one at a time one at a time. That's how he says it's supposed to work. Uh, <clears throat> verse 28. There be no interpreter. Let him keep silence in the church. Let him speak to himself and to God. All right. So there you go. If there's no interpreter, you cannot do it. Told, don't speak in tongue if there's no interpreter. You can't operate that way. <coughs> Um, verse 29, let the prophet speak two or three, let the other judge. It's going to be the same way with preachers. They're going to do, uh, well, he says two or three. Uh, now we're kind of at one, all right? And one person will preach, one person will speak during the service, kind of how we have it. And he says that's the way we want it because we want it to be orderly. It's got to be in order. 30. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. You may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. The spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophets. Or as 
what he's saying, I think, here, and it was more important in those days, especially, some guy comes in, he says, well, I got a message from God. Well, okay, let's see if you do. And the other preachers and the speakers would listen, and they say, well, maybe, yeah, or I don't think so. Okay, and I'll give you an example of that in just a little bit. Verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So, uh, service is never to be confusing. It's to be peaceful and orderly, and that's the way services are. It's that instruction that makes us have a nursery. You have a peaceful service, orderly, because children have a hard time with those two things. <laughs> so the church sets up a nursery so the service can be peaceful and orderly, and that's what's intended. Now, I want to go back, because he changes to another subject here. Uh, I want to go back and think about some of these things uh, that I have known and that I have seen in the interpretation and so forth. Um, I have heard these kind of things, and it always makes me wonder when I hear them. Uh, I had a friend of mine went to a local service, and they were all speaking in tongues all the same time. And the justification for that is, is this. They say, well, we're all speaking to God. So we can all speak at the same time because we're just talking to God. That's all we're doing. All right, now, didn't he say, we're going to do that only when there's interpreters? Yeah, yeah, he did. And so, um, she went to this church and uh, the preacher got up and said, I have a message from God. I'm here with a message from God. And everybody in the place is speaking in tongues. And he said, I got a message from God. There's somebody here that doesn't speak in tongues. Well, there's only one visitor. It really, it really wasn't, it wasn't a genius thing, you know. And so they went to her and said, well, come in the back. So she went in the back. She was a very cooperative lady. She went in the back, and they said to her, well, you know, we want to help you be filled with the Spirit. We're going to help you speak in tongues. And she said, well, I think I'm filled with the Spirit, but well, what do you mean? And they said, well, just start talking baby talk. And continue to say a bunch of syllables like a baby was saying. Eventually, it'll come, and you can have it, you know. And she said, no thanks. I'm gone. And that kind of thing uh, says to me that uh, if you're talking baby talk, and that's how you get to do it, you're not communicating to God. That's not what that's about. That's saying something so that you're accepted in the group that you're in. And they are saying that you can't have this. And so that's kind of a thing that I have seen. I don't really uh, cling to much. And um, I had another friend of mine, and they went, him and his wife went to a church where they spoke in tongues. Matter of fact, he told me one day, I could never go to your church. Nobody's filled with the Spirit. 
And I said, well, you better find somewhere else then. It's okay with me, all right? Uh, you better go look around. Well, I visited them one day, and he said, oh, my wife speaking in tongues today, and uh, it was wonderful. I said, oh, yeah, well, what, what happened? He said, well, the lady stood up and interpreted it. I said, well, what was the interpretation? Well, she got up and she said that what my wife said, because my wife didn't know what she said, uh, well, what my wife said was that husbands really need to be nice to their wives. <laughs> Who knows what happened on the way to church that day, okay? Uh, I'm thinking, well, I don't know if that really moved me or not. Uh, the Bible does say, you know, husband, love your wife. Okay, and so whatever, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, so if you say you're going to interpret, who knows that you can? Well, nobody knows. You say, I'm going to interpret, here we go. Husbands, be nice to your wife today. Well, okay, all right. Uh, and, and there's a point uh, for all this I'll get to in a minute. I want to tell you about an experience I had a long time ago. <clears throat> in the 70s, this stuff just blew up. It was all over the place. And uh, I had some older gentleman said to me, who was a young kid, uh, we're going to take you to a meeting. I don't care. We Off we went to a meeting. And so there's a meeting in Batavia, and it was kind of a long room, and they had a speaker up there, and he didn't say much at all. And I knew what they kind of knew what they were waiting for, for somebody to say, go ahead, everybody speak in tongues. Well, they did. And so uh, here was my experience, what I experienced. I was standing like on the side of the room over here, and right in the middle focal point of the room, and they even had a special chair, I think, there, there was a lady. And I would have called her a very handsome lady. A very uh, nice-looking, tall lady uh, who stood out by her looks. And so they got going. Everybody was talking and shouting. And she stood up, and she was louder than everybody else. And talking very, very loud, and she began to say things that nobody knew. And... You know, it was not like Paul said, tongues must be interpreted. It was not two or three in order. So everybody in the whole place, her sitting in the middle, who seemed to be the best at it. And what bothered me, even though I was a young man, I was standing over on the side, and I'm thinking, well, I'm, I don't do this. Well, there was a little lady, old lady, right in front of me, and... She said, hallelujah, 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 And she'd stop, and she'd watch that lady. And then she'd say, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. She's trying to do it, hoping that she's going to burst into tongues like this lady in the middle. And she did that for about 15 or 20 minutes, and stopping and looking. And that's when Eric said, Sayonara, baby, I'm gone. I'm out of here. This is not what is intended. And certainly what Paul describes in chapter 14 is nothing like that. 
And so what I saw was people trying to copy somebody else, and somebody else was very good at it. And uh, <laughs> and and that turned me off. And I walked out, and the guys that took me come running out and say, "What's up?" I said, hey, "This ain't for me. I'm gone. I'm not going to stand in there because I think it's everything against." Uh, the way it describes it, the way the Bible describes it. If you speak to God, he says, and you can do it quietly and do it in tongues, that's fine. Go ahead, all right? Uh, it will build maybe your own faith, okay. But you have to have interpreter if you're going to do it in public. And it has to be two or three, says Paul, if you're going to do it in a service. <clears throat> and not in that room there was probably 200 people. And not 200 people either shouting hallelujah, 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 or whatever. Okay, and so it is not, I think, what we see normally. Now, now, watch this. Verse 39. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, you want to speak intelligently, and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. All right? And so he says, uh, don't forbid it. Don't forbid it. And so from this passage, we draw what I would call a conclusion. And there are people who grasp, have come to the same conclusion as I'm about to give you. And so when it comes to tongues, it says, seek not and forbid not. And that's what Paul's saying. And I think the reason he says that is because if somebody has a genuine experience with God, and, you know, I'm sure Peter and John and all those guys, when they started speaking in tongues, they were scratching their head thinking, wow, this is crazy stuff. Uh, but they were communicating to people that are in the area and what happened was, you recall, that stirred everybody up and got everybody stirred up. And then Peter got up and preached a sermon and drew it all together and explained it. All right. And what, that was useful then. All right. And I think that some of the stuff that people do is not useful. And I think it goes against what Paul's rules were. And when Paul said... Uh, I speak in tongues more than everybody. There are some people and very good Bible teachers. Dr. McGee, you may have heard of him on the radio. He's one of the great Bible teachers of our day. He's died now, gone to heaven. But uh, uh, he said, I think Paul was traveling across, across Asia, across Europe, going from town to town and place to place and moving from place to place. And he says, I think wherever Paul went, he spoke the language. He spoke with everybody he met and could speak the language. And so when he said, I speak in tongues more than everybody else, it was a, a known tongue that as he traveled from place to place. All right, now some people disagree with that, all right? We are not, we are not we are not going to argue with these people. 
When we first started this church, there were people who wanted to argue with me in the worst way. And they kept coming around and calling on the phone. It was like, oh, I do what you want. I'm not going to forbid it. I'm not going to talk against it. I'm going to explain it to the best of my ability as chapter 14 he does. This is what we want to do in a service. All right? Is tongues the evidence that you are filled with the Spirit? No, that is wrong. It could be an evidence. It is not the only evidence. All right, that's clearly wrong. All right? That cannot be. Why? Because through centuries and centuries, millions of wonderful people haven't spoken in tongues. Ask Charles Wesley if he spoke in tongues. He said, wait, kidding? No. Ask Martin Luther. Ask the great saints. Most of them didn't. However, in the year 300, there was a tongues movement. A fellow called Ath uh, I think it's Athanasius. Uh, but these guys had uh, Tertullian was his name. Tertullian spoke in tongues and they, it was, uh, has been out there all through the last 2,000 years. People here and there did it. And it rises and falls and rises and falls. And uh, uh, it's not unusual. Leave it alone. We're not going to argue over it. And he said, don't forbid it. Okay. Because in the end, I can't tell what God is doing in your heart. I can't tell that. Sometimes you see evidence. Say, well, it's clearly we're not in the right path, okay. But if somebody comes along and says, well, I spoke in tongues, good. Good for you. I hope you grow from it. I hope you develop from it. Uh, we're not going to do it in a service here like you know, with 200 people all shouting out. That's been clearly said. That's not how it goes. All right. And so it's a thing down through the ages. And uh, we have to come to the point where we understand there's a limitation on it. Paul put a limitation on it. But he said, don't forbid it. Let it go. All right. And so if somebody were to jump up in our service and say a whole bunch of words, I would say, all right, interpret it. Because we don't forbid it, but we do say you have to interpret it. If you can't interpret it, then you need to sit down. All right? um, it's not, an ar not meant to be an argument. Right? It's meant to be service is in order. So that all things be done in order, be instructing about good things. All right, now we'll catch the last end of that chapter and get into the next, next week. Thank you.